I know that we all have a lot in, in common. And, and one thing for sure that we all as human beings in this room have in common is that we go through time periods of suffering. We go through really hard and difficult seasons. And it may be various reasons you're going through these different difficult seasons and hardships. It may be uh, a relational season that's difficult. Uh, I know Angie and I have been married for about 29 years. There's been seasons in our marriage where it's just tough. Have you been through those seasons before to where like communication's not working and one says up, the other one says down, it's like a lot of friction or even in your parenting, there could be relational strife there of like uh, parenting kids uh, that's hard at times. There may be seasons that are more difficult than other. You may be going through that season right now. It may be just your family or friends, but relationships can be hard. Our jobs are difficult at times as well, right? I mean, we go through a season in our job to where it's not fun, or maybe we just don't even have a job in this season, or just it's a lot of drama at work, and it can be a very hard and difficult season of, of suffering. It could be your health. I mean, our health, we go through ups and downs of our health. Maybe you just got a diagnosis. Maybe you've got some kind of issue going on with your body. Maybe, maybe it's just that dark cloud of depression that has seemed to park right over top of you, and it will not leave you, and it just weighs you down, and it's a very gloomy, dark, and difficult season of anxiety. Maybe it's just a bunch of little things adding up in your life, and it feels like a death by a thousand cuts. Maybe it may be watching other people suffer as well. I know us as a church, if you've been around Grace Point Church this, this past season, uh, the last half of 2023 was hard. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, been, it's been a season of suffering for us here as, as a church. I mean, we, we lost our beloved friend and, and, and fellow pastor, Pastor Nick Davey, and it's, it's, been a very, it's been a very difficult season. And so when we go through these hardships, no matter what you're going through, there are times as Christians to where we, we can kind of feel like, I don't know how much more of this I can endure. I'm, you know, you kind of get to that place where like, I, I just kind of want to throw in the towel and just do something different, or like, I just, I feel like I want to quit. I, 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 want, to, I want to give up. I just don't know how much more I can take of a season of suffering. Well, thanks be to God, uh, we have the Word to guide us and direct us. And our Bibles are very clear that this Bible is not an ordinary book, this is not an ancient script of any sort, but our Bibles are living and active. And when we open our Bibles, it's like opening the mouth of God, and God wants to speak into that today. Uh, and I think there's a really good place for us to land today to get some encouragement to not give up. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. 2 Corinthians 4. If you don't have a Bible here at Grace Point Church, we always say you're going to need a Bible. We lead, teach, and preach from it. And so we want you to have one. We have them in English and Spanish laying around here. Just grab one. That's our gift to you. Also, if you've got a smartphone, you uh, version as well, you can download that. Click events and like all the notes will pop up from today. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Paul that wrote this about 2,000 years ago. If you know anything about Paul's life, uh, back in the day before he met Jesus, Paul was the man. Paul had respect. Paul had power. Paul had a reputation. Paul was a religious guy and people respected him and all that. And then he lost it all. And, and he lost it all by following Jesus. And by following Jesus, he incurred quite a bit of suffering in his life. And I think Paul's a really great guy to speak to us in this moment, even if you're going through um, what we're not going through as a church, but your own personal suffering as well. I think Paul can really speak into suffering and suffering well while following Jesus. Uh, you don't have to go there. I'll throw it up on the screen for you. But 
Paul, uh, later on in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, he writes this about his sufferings. Listen to what he went through. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So that means he was beat. He was whipped. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, meaning rocks thrown at you. Uh, some believe that Paul actually died and, and, and Jesus brought him back to life. We don't know. It's kind of up for grabs. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Can you imagine how scary that would be? Floating on a plank somewhere in the middle of the sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights. You ever had some sleepless nights? You ever string together weeks and months of sleepless nights? Paul understands that. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, and on top of all that, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, because he was a man out there planting churches and cared for the souls of people. Just Paul's reminding us that life is difficult, and I'll even add, based on what Paul said and life experience as well, that following Jesus will make your life a little bit more difficult. Like, I know, that's not what you're going to get on TV. Follow Jesus, and everything will be okay. That's why a lot of people leave the church. That's why a lot of people leave following God, because they think, oh, my life is imploding right now. If I follow Jesus, everything's going to get better, and then it just happens to get worse. And they're like, well, God didn't do what I thought he would do, and I'm out of here. You, you, you've probably seen that before in your life as well. But I will. I will say even following Jesus makes life a bit more cumbersome. Why? Because your eyes are open to your own reality and the reality of your own sinfulness and folly, am I right? That you don't do the things you ought to do and you shouldn't do the things that you are doing, right? That kind of whole Romans 7 thing. And then when you look outside of you, you, you look at the world around you, you're like, man, once you start following Jesus, you look at the world around you like the world is busted up and broken. It is a mess, and you start to see lost people doing lost things, and you begin to have the heart and a burden for them, and that kind of puts a weighty burden on you as well. And you start to feel that weight, and then you have your own suffering and the suffering of those around you, and there just gets a feeling of like, I don't know how much more I can take of this. There's a part of me that just wants to throw in the towel. And I think what Paul's going to do here, I think it's going to be so helpful for us, is that we need to live this life in light of the gospel. We, we need to kind of have the gospel in mind every step we take in life. And specifically when I talk about the gospel, the good, the good news of Jesus, specifically I really want to hone it into the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes we want to get to the resurrection. The resurrection is important for us to keep our minds ahead on, but we have to go through death to get to the resurrection. It feels like at life sometimes it's just death over death over death over death. And every, just life is full of deaths, but it takes the death to get to the resurrection. And we need to keep that in mind. So, so what I want to do today simply is this. I, I want to give from our text six very personalized statements for us to encourage us to not give up, to, to encourage us to keep going when we don't want to keep going to encourage us to stay close to the Lord and close to one another. Six, six encouragements. We'll get in and get out. Are, are you ready? Okay. Hey, and by the way, if you're, if you're not a Christian today, if you say, hey, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm just here, I'm glad you're here. I'd really encourage you, lean in. 
And, and hear this for yourself as well. This can be true of you as well if you trust Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Here we go. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Real quick, what does that remind you of in the Bible? Creation, right? It reminds you of creation. Hold that. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown, that's past tense, in our hearts, Christians, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, this is simply Paul talking about salvation language, that Christians are saved, that God has done something in there. Now, uh, it's interesting that Paul is using this light and dark, dark and light illustration. He understands theologically and biblically speaking, before Christ saves you, you were in the kingdom of darkness, and, and he saves you, brings you to the kingdom of light. Paul understands this as well, because Paul was doing great in life until he met Jesus. And what did Jesus do when he met him? Blinded him to get him to understand the reality of the darkness within him, and then later on gave him sight again. That way he can understand the difference between dark and light. And so what Paul is uh, giving us an illustration of in salvation and being saved is that God is creating and recreating in us. Uh, if you probably know this, Genesis 1, 1 through 3, that's what he's, uh, I think, alluding to. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness. Without form, void, and darkness. That's the condition we come to Jesus with. Without form, void, and darkness. Over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And when God speaks, it happens. It says, and there was light. See, that, that's what happens in our salvation is that we were in darkness and God brings light to us. And he's the only one that can, can do that. And so I think just from Paul's intro right here in verse 6, what we need to have personalized to, to, to be reminded of, very simple, but be reminded of as Christians is, number one, I know Jesus. Hooray, right? You know Jesus and Jesus knows you. Like, that is super encouraging language right here. He says right here, back in verse 6, he says, uh, he, in our hearts, shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is salvation language. Like, God has created this new creation in you. Later on in 2 Corinthians 5, you probably know this if you've been around the block a little bit, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning you're a Christian, you are saved, he is a what? You've been recreated. This is creation language that he's pointing back into Genesis. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is God's creation work in you. The same power in which he used to, uh, to speak things into existence is the same power in which he speaked newness into your existence. Love that idea. God said, who let light shine out of darkness. He, he's making us brand new. And I, I love the idea that you're a new creation, the old has passed away. Meaning you're just not a religious version of your old self. You're not a cleaned up version of your old self. You're not a better version of your old self. You're not a new self with these, with these like rules and regulations and now you know, got some guardrails in your life because you know back in the day you were out of bounds. You're not that. He says, no, 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 no. You are brand new. And he says that the old has passed away. And uh, if you remember from our, our Romans language, remember we've been walking through Romans, uh, every human being is in Adam. That's the old. And you have to be reborn to be in Christ. 
And he's saying the in Adam in you, the old self, the old sinful, depraved, the old part that was in darkness is dying. It's gone. It's dead. You are brand new. Jesus is changing everything about He's giving you, he's giving you new identity. You, you know how big of a deal identity is? Each and every human being is trying to find their identity in something. We try to find our identity in great things like spouses and kids and our work and vocation and money and all that. We try to find identity in everywhere. And we go on this identity roller coaster all the time, having all these identity crises. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're a new creation in Christ. So your new identity is in Christ. That's a place where you have great security. You have the comfort of God. You have the approval of God. You have the value in which God has placed within you. There's no more guesswork right there. You have identity. I I wanted to start at the foundational level because sometimes in life when it gets so just uh, the upheaval of life, it really starts to mess with who we are. But listen, don't give up. Why? You know Jesus. And Jesus knows you. Let me keep going. Verse 7. He says, but we have, so he's talking about what we have as Christians. So hear this if you're a Christian for yourself. We have this treasure. What is this treasure? In jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So we got to go back in verse 7 and say, but we have this treasure. What is this treasure? If you go back to verse 6, it explains the treasure. The treasure is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so as Paul keeps uh, explaining this, he's going to be talking a lot about resurrection. So my personalized point number two is this. I have the power of the resurrection in me. You, you, Christian, have the power of the resurrection in you. Now, he calls us jars of clay, and we, we hear jars of clay, and we're like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'm like a vase, you know, fancy vase. <laughs> jars of clay back then were throwaway items. You'd use it to transport water or wine or you know, oils or something like that, but you would just disregard it. It really wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, think of it now as like if you go get a hamburger from McDonald's, um, good luck, but if you get a hamburger from McDonald's, the clamshell little thing that's in it, no, no one's keeping those, right? No one's collecting those as souvenirs and putting them on a shelf. That's kind of what a jar of clay was back then. Not very flattering, is it? <laughs> what, are, what are jars of clay made out of? They are made out of dust, dirt. That we are, we are dirt. Where did Adam come from in Genesis? Dirt. He's just saying we're a bunch of formed up pieces of dirt. Uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes said this. He says, all are from dust and to dust all return. What do we, what do we know about pottery? Pottery is frail. Pottery is weak. It's breakable. It has flaws and imperfections. Now, that is what he's saying right there, that we have treasures because we're these jars of clay. And so, Christian, listen to me. This is, this is going to be a little, bit, a little bit contradictory, countercultural, and counterintuitive, but he's saying that we are weak, and weakness is a good thing because the power is not to us, the power is in God, and God is in us. 
And so what he's not saying is my weakness plus God's power equals I'm powerful. No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, no, 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 the best place for you to be is to be weak. When you trust Jesus, when you become a Christian, you're weak. We don't go from weakness to strong. We go from weakness to weakness to weakness to frailty. St. Francis of Assisi, you ever heard of this guy? He's got some great quotes. If you ever read his life, that dude was a gospel-proclaiming machine. He would literally go out into the woods and proclaim the gospel to trees and flowers and chipmunks and squirrels and birds, but we all know pigeons are going to hell, so that was a, <laughs> doesn't matter. St. Francis said this, and it's just, a, it's just wonderful. So you're like, hey, I love pigeons. Well... Someone asked St. Francis how he was able to accomplish so much. He replied, listen, listen, listen. This may be why the Lord looked down from heaven and said, where can I find the weakest, littlest man on earth? Then he saw me and said, I found him, and he won't be proud of it. He'll see that I am only using him because of his insignificance. That's the people. Like, if you're being used by God, please do not puff your chest up like, oh, it must be because I'm awesome. First Corinthians tells us that he uses the shameful or the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It's weaknesses. That's, 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 where, that's where God gets the greatest glory. That's the vessels in which he wants to use is those who are weak. Because honestly, when you really think about it, weakness is all he has to deal with when it comes to us humans. Now we think like, well, if I'm weak, then life will get too hard and I'll just, I'll just give up. No, 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 no. What Paul's saying is when you're weak, that's where the power comes through. Why? Because there's this resurrection power in you. The same power that raised Jesus back to life, Christian, is in you. Paul totally understood this. And when you get to uh, chapter 11 or chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. You've probably heard of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Theologians have gone back and forth on what was his thorn in the flesh. I personally think, through a lot of study, that God gave Paul a cat, but nonetheless. <laughs> It says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, it says this. I mean, think about it. It's a cat. When you read this text, you're like, oh, cat. That's cat math, daddy. Here we go. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, this is what God said to Paul. Listen, hear this for yourself. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect when you got your stuff together. My power is made perfect when you're good and religious. My power is made perfect when you put on a good front and everybody knows that you're just fine. No, it says my power is made perfect in weakness. One of the weakest moments of history, in my opinion, is Jesus on a cross. Nailed to it. Naked. Power, and that's the most powerful place in history. My power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly. He says boast all the more gladly in my weakness. Like I'm okay with my weakness. I'll boast in it so that, well, why would I want to boast? Why would I want to brag about my weakness? So that the power of Christ may, I love the language, rest upon me. That's like Holy Spirit language of the Spirit coming upon people in the Old Testament resting upon. For the sake of Christ, for his glory and for his namesake, 
then I am content. You know what the word content means? We Americans really struggle with this word. You know what the word content means? It means I'm okay. I'm cool with it. I'm okay. I'm content with weakness. I'm content with weakness. Insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. Like Paul's like, I'm okay. Like, did we not read everything he went through? Like all the beatings and the whippings and the stoning and like, I'm content. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is that? Because God takes dead things and brings them to life. God uses weak things to show his power through them. So Christian, it's okay to be weak. It's okay to be in need. It's okay to not be okay, especially through all the stuff we're going through. It's okay. We don't have to hold a front up like, oh, I'm okay. We don't have to do that. We can be weak. That's where strength comes through. Why? Don't forget and don't give up and don't quit because you have the resurrection power inside of you, Christian. Let me keep going. Verse 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Number three. Number three, Christian. It's going to be a tough one. Number three. Suffering will not destroy me. Suffering, Christian, will not destroy you. It will not. You're going to go through a lot of suffering, but Christian, listen to me, we're built for this. Why? What is our symbol? What's the Christian symbol? The cross. It's not like I've said this before. It's not a Nike swoosh. Just do it. It's a cross, and cross means death. Someone asked C.S. Lewis one time, why do the righteous suffer? And C.S. Lewis said this, why not? They're the ones who can take it. Because we have hope in Christ. What's the worst thing you can do to us? Take our life. Okay. We've got a better life to, that's ahead of us. Okay. To live as Christ, to die as gain, Paul said. He says, afflicted but not crushed. You will be under pressure, Christian, but you won't be crushed. Perplexed. I like the idea of perplexed, like confused. There's confusing things that will happen, confused of why you're losing, and you're like, you'll be losing in life at times. So we'll be perplexed, but we're not going to despair about it. Persecuted. Like you, Christian, have a real enemy that wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy you. So we are persecuted, but we're not forsaken, meaning the Lord will never leave us during all that. Struck down, but not destroyed. And when Paul writes struck down, I think he means he's taken a beating. He's taken a whooping. He's taken a stoning. He's taken all that kind of stuff. And yet, Paul kept standing. See, you and I, we are going to suffer in this life. We are suffering. I said this a couple weeks ago, and I'll say it again, but Christian, listen to me. Christian, this life is the only hell you'll ever experience. What to come is heaven. If you're not a Christian, listen to me. If you're not a Christian, this life is the only heaven you'll ever experience. And you've got to be thinking, this is the only heaven? Ugh, hell awaits. But Jesus can change that. He can change that. Verse 10. I want you to keep talking about this suffering because he says something kind of interesting. He says in verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that in the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. So the death of Jesus we carry, we carry the cross, and the life of Jesus we carry around with us is the resurrection. 
cross, resurrection, death, life. We have that in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. Jesus is with us. When it feels like death, when it feels like dying, when it's suffering, Jesus is with us. And yet it's bringing life to us. Don't give up. Suffering will not destroy us. John Stott said this, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. God is not a God who is immune from suffering. The Lord will be with us. Hey, one last thing about suffering. This is a big one. Suffering's never pointless. Could you imagine if it were? If you were suffering illness or the situations we're going through now or whatever that be, and, and you felt like suffering had no point, then God would just be cruel and not loving. But um, hey, you remember Romans 5? Remember Romans 5 when we were going through that? Romans 5 said this. Don't miss this. I think this is important. Romans 5.3 says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. I mean, you got to go through it. It produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Your suffering is not pointless. Your suffering is not pointless. Your suffering is not pointless. God is using it. Let me keep going. Keep moving. Verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written... So when he says, according to what has been written, and you see quotes, now he's going to go Old Testament. I'll explain that in just a minute. I believed, and so I spoke. So someone from the Old Testament believed and spoke. We also, now he's identifying with, we also believe, and so we also speak. Meaning we, we as Christians, have something to say. Uh, knowing that he who raised, there's resurrection, raised the Lord Jesus, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. That's enough right there, isn't it? Man, we could just pray and close it down. We'll be raised with Jesus and bring us into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Number four, suffering speaks through me. Your suffering has something to say. Suffering is never silent. People watch us suffer. People watch you suffer, and they're always wondering, will they suffer well? Do they have hope when they suffer? We can suffer from things that have happened out of our control. We can suffer from things that people have done to us. And we can suffer from our own mess, am I right? And people will wonder, do they, do they have hope? Now, notice he says he's quoting somebody from the Old Testament. Who, who is he quoting? I believe, and so I spoke. Who is it? It's Psalm 116, and it's David. David is the great, 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 add a whole bunch of great grandfather of Jesus. It's King David of the Old Testament. I'm going to read Psalm 116. Just want to point a couple of things out. We'll throw it on the screen for you. You can go there if you want. I'm going to read the whole thing. Just remember David's life in the back of your mind as I read this. 
I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Let that be us. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. Then I call on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. Thank God. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe even when I spoke. There it is. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I don't think that's there on coincidence today. Oh Lord, I am your servant, I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call in the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is from David. David, the mighty warrior, David and Goliath, David and the leader, David and the king, and David who made an absolute mess of his life. David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba's husband that he put on the front lines had murdered. David and his highly dysfunctional family. You think your family's got some mess in it. Read his. It's woof. And he's saying, I believe and so I speak. Meaning, although he suffered from others and from his own hand, he still has a word to speak. What's being done to him or what has happened in life and even his own sin does not shut his mouth on the goodness of God. And Paul is quoting that. You remember Paul's story? It's not all rosy either. He had Christians murdered. That was part of his job, part of his role early on. And yet, even through his own mess, even through his own suffering that he caused of himself and others inflicted upon him, he believed and so he speaks. Listen, your suffering is a good witness to the world around you. I know you're like, ah, I don't know about it. You can go tell people, even when it's your own mess, of how good the Savior is to you. That, no, that everyone has left you, but my Savior haven't, hasn't. You can go and tell people that good news. No one has stuck closer to me than Jesus through all this. You can tell them that good news because it's very, very true. Some of you say, well, no, Ty, I don't know if I believe that or not because I'm suffering and I'm in pain and I've prayed and asked God over and over, would you please remove this suffering? Would you please remove this pain? And time and time again, God has not answered that. And let me tell you why he's not answered that. Rarely, listen to me, lean in, rarely will God take you out of pain and take you out of suffering. Rarely. You know why? He does something better. He joins you in it. He walks with you in it. He comforts you in it. He'll see you through the other side with it. That's, I know we'd like, well, no, I just want to pull me out. Nope. Nope. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your leader, your Lord. The Bible tells me he wants to be your friend through it as well. Don't quit. Your suffering's got something to say. 
Verse 16. This first line, man, is just gold. So we do not lose heart. That's hard. It's hard not to lose heart in situations. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Number five, personalized. Here we go. God is renewing me daily. Do you believe that? God's doing something in you every day. He's renewing you each and every day. Now, when Paul talks about our outer self wasting away, he's not um, de-emphasizing the body. The body is very, very important. Your body is very important. Why do we know it's important? Jesus took on a body. God gave us bodies. The resurrection, there's bodies. So bodies are very, very important. But our bodies are wearing down minute by minute. Have you looked in the mirror? I am 27 years old. Look at this. Look at it. I'm not. 26. There you go. That's very kind. It doesn't matter how much Botox and Boltons you put on. Listen, listen. Our, bo- our bodies are wearing out. But in this section, though, I don't think he's talking about our bodies. I think he's talking about the outer wasting away. I think a little bit he's talking about our, our sin nature, that in Adam part, that there's sanctification, that we're growing in our holiness and growing in our righteousness. I think, I think we really are. The old, older we get, I mean, it might be a chart where there's lots of up and downs, but we want to see a progression up for sure, right? The older we get, the more and more we should look like Christ. And it may be because of the Holy Spirit working in us, and it may be because we're just too tired to do the things we used to do. We'll take either one. But right here, he says, like, you're, you're being renewed over and over. Some of you are like, I can't see it. I can't, I can't see it. I can't see Christ in me moment by moment, day by day. It's okay. Charles Spurgeon once said this. For all those discouraged by your progress in Christ, he said, by perseverance... The snail reached the ark. <laughs> Better than Spurgeon is the text. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and like I always get this visual, and I'll tell you about the visual I see when I read this text. And we all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord. Now watch, are being transformed into the same image. So meaning we're being tra- transformed into the image of Christ, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I always have this, um, an old school um, control knob that clicks from one degree to another. And it feels like in life, every once in a while, the Lord just click. click. He didn't go, you know, it's click. Click. Slowly and surely, the Lord is faithful. He won't quit. He won't give up on us. You're being renewed. You're being made new each and every day. Little By little, by little, take heart. When these things happen, I feel like it's a regression almost. Take heart. God is using these things little to renew us daily, little by little by little. Let me get this last one. This is almost offensive what he says, but I get it, and I want you to get it too. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What does he mean by this light momentary affliction? This life and what we're going through and the suffering. Paul has such 
an eternal perspective. All the terrible things he's been through and the terrible things he's put people through and the terrible things he's seen Christians be put through, he calls it light, momentary, momentary affliction. But it's preparing us for eternal weight of glory. It's resurrection beyond comparisons. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, meaning they're just not lasting. They're not permanent. They're fleeting. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And he's saying this suffering won't last forever. What you see before you right now won't really last in this condition forever. But what is unseen is real and it's coming. So here's my sixth point. The best is yet to come, Christian. we got to hold on to that. The, the best is yet to come. I love how Paul had such an eternal perspective. I think sometimes we, we as Christians, we don't have the unseen perspective. We are so just w- wanting to see what's right in front of us right now, and we want to put our hope in the things that are in front of us right now, and we must have, like Paul does, like our Bibles show us, to have a greater perspective than that. That, that, that. This world's okay. There's some good things going on. There's some bad things going on too, but there's some good things going on. The Lord's going to renew that. And the best, the best is yet to come. I told this story four or five years ago. I'll tell it once again. There's a young woman who'd been diagnosed with a terminal illness and been given three months to live. And so she was getting all of her affairs in order. And she contacted her pastor to come over to the house and discuss, you know, aspects of her final wishes. She was telling him what songs she wants sung at the service, what scriptures she would like read, what outfit she would like to be buried in. And everything was in order, and the pastor was getting ready to leave, and the young woman suddenly remembered something very, very important. She said, there's one more thing, one more thing. The pastor was like, what's that? Anything. She said, this is very important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor didn't know what to say. He just kind of looked at her odd, as you would. She said, that surprises you, doesn't it? He says, well, to be honest, I am a bit puzzled. And this is what she said. My grandmother once told me this story, and from that time on, I've always tried to pass it along as a message to those I love and those who are in need of encouragement. In all my years of attending socials and dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part part because I knew that something better was coming, like a velvety chocolate cake or a deep dish apple pie, Something wonderful and something of substance. So I just want people to see me there in the casket with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder what's with the fork. Then I want you to tell them, Pastor, keep the fork. The best is yet to come. The pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy as he hugged the young woman goodbye. He knew that probably be the last time he would see her before death. But he also knew the young woman had a better grasp on heaven than he did. At the funeral, people were walking by the young woman's casket. They saw the cloak she was wearing and the fork placed in her right hand. Over and over, the pastor heard the question, what's with the fork? And over and over, he smiled. During his message, the pastor told the people of the conversation he had with the young woman shortly before she died. He also told them about the fork and about what it symbolized to her. He told the people how he could not stop thinking about the fork and told them that they probably would not be able to stop thinking about it as well. And he was right. So the next time you reach down with your fork, let it remind you ever so gently, the best is yet to come. I know in our text today it said something, that we will not be destroyed. 
And there's part of us as human beings that our greatest fear is death. That's why we feel the greatest thing when a loved one dies. We grieve and we mourn. But as Christians, we have hope because the best is yet to come. We finish with the words of Billy Graham. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. That's our hope. Let me pray for us. Let's just take a moment and just be silent before the Lord. Maybe you want to have silence for just out of respect for Pastor Nick, or maybe you've been such a buzz this week that you just need some silence built in. Before we go to the Lord, let's just be silent. Lord, thank you for just this brief moment to let the sediment of our souls to settle. I pray that just the reminder of the gospel would settle in these moments upon us as well. We don't suffer alone. Lord, you you suffer along with us. You are our suffering servant, the Bible says. And we also suffer with one another. Yet we have your word, and so I pray from your word today, you give us a bit of encouragement. You remind us of the hope we have in you, Christ. That death does not have the final word. That before the resurrection, death must come. So yes, we grieve, and yes, we mourn, but we don't despair. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. I pray for myself, God, that you would just, you are the lifter of of heads, the lifter of countenances. You are the one that takes burdens and give us the light yoke. And so we ask for that this morning. So Lord, we offer ourselves to you. 
is just humble jars of clay. We thank you that it's in our weakness that you are strong in us and through us. And so, God, we're a weak bunch. May your strength be magnified through that. As you're doing your work in us as individuals in a church, may it just give us unity with one another. May it give us eternal perspective of everything is so fleeting and transient here, and yet the things that are unseen are the permanent. May you give us even joy in our hurt and our pain and our suffering. Would you give us the measure of your hope? Would you give us something to say through our suffering to a dying world around us that needs hope so, so, so badly? And Jesus, we pray you be glorified in all that we do, in all that we say, and all that we, what we are. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.